All right. Well, hello, everybody, once again. And again, I'm going to say happy Mother's Day. And uh, and in the spirit of things um, at our campuses, at our physical campuses, we're handing out in all the kids zone. And actually, I think in the lobbies, too, at most of our campuses, uh, I love mom tattoos. And in honor of moms, I did. Uh, I did go ahead and do one of those uh, temporary tattoos. You want to see it? Um, yeah, just uh, it's no, it's it's right here. It's right here. There we go. All right. Uh, but hey, I do want to say uh, thank you to all you moms. And and today, you know, since it is Mother's Day, I thought what my first thought about this weekend is maybe we could talk about what it means to be like a solid woman. And, and I would mansplain what it's like to be a woman in our culture and how hard it is and give my mansplanation of you know, what, what being a woman is all about and, you know, give some biblical stuff. But the good news is, is I'm, I'm really not as dumb as I look. That's good news. So I'm not going to give, I don't think we need one more mansplanation about women. Um, and, uh, so we're not going to do that. But what we are going to do is, uh, is a, a very, very important conversation. And actually, if we put this into practice, there are people whose lives, the trajectory of their lives will change. Because of what happens this week, if we do what we're going to talk about today, it's going to be encouraging, but also very practical, because what we're going to think about and talk about is our privilege and responsibility. Every one of us, certainly moms and dads and parents, but every one of us, our responsibility and privilege to help launch the next generation to propel them to fulfill God's purposes in this world. Because every one of us, God has given influence with someone who's younger than us. And so to make this work, I really want you to think about somebody in your life. I mean, if you're if you're a parent, it should be easy. If you're a grandparent, it should be easy to think about a kid, a student, a young adult that that God has in your life that you could encourage. And and we're going to talk about how and what that means. Um, Others of you, it may may be an aunt or an uncle. It may be a neighbor. Uh, you may, it may be somebody that you work with who's younger than you. Maybe you may be a big brother or a big sister. You may be a coach. You may serve in kid zone. You may serve in student ministry. But I want you to think of one person in your life that is younger than you, that God has placed in your life in the next generation. And we're going to think about the kind of people that God uses to do that. And then a little bit of what that looks like. And one of the encouraging things is to think about the kind of people God uses, because we don't have to look very far. He uses imperfect people like you and me. And and what we're going to do today is we're going to see that lived out in the person that that God chose to raise Jesus, who is God, who came in human flesh, came as a baby, grew up and, you know, was the savior of the world. What the Old Testament called the Messiah Pretty significant. Who would God choose to do that? Like we watch bachelor shows and all that. And they I mean, who would God give the rose to to raise Jesus? And it's it's actually pretty interesting when you see it. I mean, Joseph and Mary were incredible people. But as we're going to see, they weren't perfect people. And in fact, in some ways, kind of unlikely choice. Like we're going to focus on Mary since it's Mother's Day. And if you if you think about, you know, Mary, her situation when she realized that she was going to give birth and to Jesus and then raise the savior of the world, she was probably a 14 year old girl, uh, maybe 13, maybe 15. But one of those, let's call her 14 year old girl. 
in a nowhere place out in a village uh, that nobody knew about. Um, and she was kind of a nobody from nowhere. Poor family out in the middle of the sticks. She uh, one day gets is visited by an angel, which is a dramatic thing to happen. And she's, of course, afraid. The angel says, hey, chill out. It's OK. Don't be afraid because you've been given great favor. And here's what's going to happen. You don't have to be afraid, but you are going to get pregnant, even though you are a virgin. And uh, and God's going to do that another way. This will be the Messiah, the savior of the world. And the angel leaves. And she's like, OK, now, I, mean, I mean, who do you talk to about that? If you're her, right? You know, if you try to, as a 14 year old, explain to somebody, well, I'm, I'm pregnant, but I've never, I've, I've never had sex, I promise, but God did this and it's the Savior, it's the Messiah of the world. Especially, who, how's she gonna tell her fiance? Because she's engaged to Joseph. The good news is, Joseph, and God arranges an angel to take care of that, to explain it to Joseph. So they're in sync. Um, several, they, several things happen um, while she's pregnant that are pretty remarkable, helping her realize the uniqueness of this baby. And then when she does give birth to Jesus, which is Christmas, I mean, you know, you know, you've probably been around enough to know about Christmas, right? All the, the star and the shepherds and the angels and all that. And the Bible says that God treasured up all these things that are hard. Is she just trying to come to grips with, wow, I'm giving birth to my creator? The God who's always existed, but now he's here as a human. And I mean, just all, it's pretty crazy. And then when she gives birth to Jesus, you, you know, you have all this stuff around Christmas. Then uh, a few days later, she goes, she and Joseph go to dedicate Jesus in the temple. Uh, and there there's these prophets who come and give these incredible prophecies about this baby. And, hey, this is the savior of the world. This is the son of God. This is I mean, there's just a I mean, pretty that, that's a lot for a 14 year old to take in. I mean, it was certainly, I mean, it's really cool, but how intimidating to realize that it's your responsibility to raise the Savior of the world, the Messiah. I mean, that's really true for any of us, especially those of us who become parents. Like, I I know for me, I I still remember uh, the first time I held Colin and then three years later, Caleb in my arms, but certainly for that first one, it's just so intimidating as a young dad, as a young parent, because you're holding this tiny little baby and you're like, oh no, I can really mess this little kid up. And what if I do? And, you know, I don't want to mess him up. And right, it just, it's intimidating. And, and I'm sure it was for her. But for those of you, and we're going to talk broader today than parents and, and so on, but I do want to say a word to those of you who are parents and who feel that intimidation. And it sometimes feel really confused, not just when they're a baby, when they become teenagers, that's a confusing time. When even as you parent young adults, that can be confusing. There are different times, different things that happen, and it's intimidating and confusing and can be a little difficult. And remember what the angel said to Mary. Because what the angel said to Mary when she said, don't be, when he said, don't be afraid, is God has given you great favor. And the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And he wasn't just talking about overshadowing her during, for the conception of Jesus. For the whole raising of Jesus, the Holy Spirit would overshadow you. And for those of you who are believing parents, and all of you can be, realize that you are not on your own. And when it gets confusing, the Holy Spirit is overshadowing, overshadowing you. And the Bible says you can always ask God for wisdom. You are not on your own. And God has given you the favor to be able to be influential in the life of that kid. 
And, of course, that's true for all of us, however we relate to a kid. It's a favor. It's a big deal. Now, when you think about Mary, you know, we've talked about, okay, kind of an unusual choice in some ways, but it's God's choice. She's an amazing person, a godly person. So you can see why that time. But as we're going to see, it's not God didn't choose her because she was perfect, because God doesn't use perfect people. He uses imperfect people. And we see that in the one story of Jesus's childhood that we have. And I'm sure there were great you know, childhood stories of how Mary and Joseph were amazing parents. And and if if God was going to ask Mary, hey, Mary, give us give a, give me three stories of your parenting that you want me to put in the Bible. What we're going to read today, the one story we have would not be one of them. Uh, this would be the one story she'd say, well, anything but that, obviously. But that's the one God chooses. And so let's look at this story. Every year, his parents, Joseph and Mary, went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. That's a, from Nazareth where they live. That's a four-day walk, four-day journey. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were still returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him. Now, we'll go back to the story. But imagine what that would be like to lose your kid. Not for 20 minutes, not for 30 minutes, but for three days. And this is no ordinary kid. This is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The whole, the whole fate of the world is at stake. And the one job you have, I mean, at the minimum, if you're going to raise the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is don't lose him. You know, I mean, that's pretty simple, right? Just don't lose him. He'll be fine, but just keep him alive and, and, you know, the best you can and don't lose him and, you know, let him grow up so he can save the world. And can you imagine losing the Messiah, losing the savior of the world? And you realize, I mean, they've been traveling for a day, right? But they've got friends and all that. And they're probably setting up camp at night. And it's like, hey, anybody seen Jesus? No. And then the realization of you just go, oh, no, where is this? You know, now you got to go back to this big city and look for him. And it takes three days. And I don't know if you've ever lost a kid, but I mean, we've lost kids for like minutes at a time. And it seems like days, even if it's 30 minutes, but for three days. I remember as a youth pastor one time, I, I, this was before the days of cell phones. I lost one of our, I lost one of our volunteers. Uh, we, uh, we stopped at, we were going eight hours, stopped halfway, got to the place. We were rafting and everybody got in the rafts and it was like, Hey, anybody seen Bill? You realize, uh oh, we left Bill. We had no way to communicate with him. We just had to leave him there until, you know, until later that night. Uh, but that's one thing, leaving Bill, but leaving the Messiah, that's a whole other deal, right? And, and that does encourage me as a parent because because uh, I haven't always, you know, I'm not mistake free as a parent. Right. I, I'm not perfect as a parent. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, I think, you know, I'm sure Mary was probably wondering when she went to heaven, like, God, why did you share this story you put in the Bible? But it does tell us that God chooses to use imperfect people to do the greatest things, including raising the next generation. And that's good news for somebody like me. I mean, I was thinking about that this weekend because or this week, because this week for us is birthday week for our two boys. So Colin was born May 5th and Caleb May 7th. And they're now 20, 28 and 25. And and so it makes you think back to stories. And, and one of those uh, kind of oops stories happened when Colin, this is with Colin. He was three years. He had just turned three. So Caleb was 
just a tiny little baby, just days old. And Colin had this uh, little blue blanket that he called his Baba. And Baba was always, we didn't take Baba very often outside of the house. Sometimes we did. But certainly he always slept with Baba. He would walk around with Baba in the house. I mean, Baba was his best buddy. Like he just loved his little, you know, it was his comfort, right? Baba. And in all my wisdom as a young dad, I decided that, you know, a couple of days after turning three, it's probably time for him to lose the Baba, to get rid. You know, he, he doesn't need to be walking around with Baba. I had visions of him, you know, trying to get married and, you know, when he's 20 and he still has his Baba and, you know, you don't want that. And so I thought, OK, we're going to get rid of Baba. So we go outside and this is one of those times I should have consulted uh, my wife. But anyway, we went outside and um and I said, I explained, hey, Colin, you know, I think it's time. And here's this. He's barely three. You know, I'm just a little guy. And I'm explaining to him, you know, it's, I think it's time for Baba to go to fly away and and be with some other little boy and, and you know, be his friend. And and Colin's looking like, you know, why? And and uh, and and so he was, you know, he said, OK. And and so he said, we're going to pray for you. Know, so we prayed. We thank God for Baba. And we were outside and the roof was just right here. So after I prayed, I said, "Okay." so now he's going to fly away. And I threw it up to where it would just land on the roof where he couldn't see it anymore. So he assumed Baba flew away to be with some other little boy. And, you know, he cries a little bit and then he cries a little bit more later. And I'm sure in his 20s in therapy, he talked about Baba and and that whole experience, because looking back, it's like, man, give the kid a break. He's basically still two. You know, you could probably I mean, yeah, okay, if he's 16 and he's taking Baba to school, that's one thing. But, you know, come on, three. And and that's a safe little oops story. I've got oops parenting stories that aren't so safe that would, you know, you'd be like, wow, he's my pastor and all that. I mean, and uh, because God doesn't use perfect parents. And that's that's important for all of us to understand. Uh, even no matter how you relate to a kid, you might think, well, man, I'm, I, I could never influence anybody. I'm not. God doesn't use imperfect people. I mean, God doesn't use perfect people. God uses imperfect people to launch kids to fulfill his purposes for them. And, and I do want to say a special word to moms. You know, how I said I wasn't going to mansplain how hard it is to be a woman. And I'm, I'm too smart to do that. Well, maybe I'm not that smart. Because when I think about it, um, I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure on women in general in our culture to be perfect, you know, kind of perfect everything. But certainly moms and certainly Christian moms. I mean, just think about women in general. I mean, this earlier this week, Christy and I uh, went out to dinner on Monday night with some friends or, or some Chase Oaks friends, people that I knew that she was meeting for the first time. And, and I'm in the office doing some work. And so I was already dressed. And, and so she, you know, calls out, hey, what are you, what are you going to wear? What are you wearing tonight? Well, what would I answer as a guy, right? Uh, pants, shirt, shoes, right? Because that's what you're always going to wear. Like, it's pretty simple. And, but it's not so simple for girls, right? You got to think about And if I'm at that restaurant and I spill ketchup on me as a guy, it's no big deal, right? Just get a French fry and scoop up the, you know, what I can and eat it. And then I'm, I'm good to go, right? Nobody cares about guys and what they look. I mean, just, you know, but for girls, but then you take parenting, it's still in our culture. It shouldn't be this way. But often when kids are acting up, people don't look at dad. They look at mom, you know. And then if you're a Christian mom, it's even worse because you've got these perfect Christian moms. Have you ever met perfect Christian moms and perfect Christian families? And their family always looks like they're ready for a family picture every day. 
and they, their kids always do the right thing and have these great attitudes and get, you know, all this stuff. And they just look so perfect. It makes you want to throw up just a little bit if you're on, you know, just, you know, it just, it's just intimidating, right? But let me give you some insight or some pastoral insight over the years. What I've seen is that that facade of the perfect family and the perfect parents with the perfect Christian kids is just that it's a facade. And behind the facade are parents who are just as scared as you are and just as imperfect as you are. And if they keep the facade up rather than being willing to own their imperfection, it, it doesn't tend to work out very well. Because what what your kids need from you as a parent is to is to show them what it's be to be, show them what it's like to be a, an authentic, imperfect follower of Jesus. And to own your imperfection. And when you mess up, and you will, to be honest about that. And to be authentic about that. And not try to look more together than you are. That, that kind of authentic faith is the one that they'll catch and they'll run with. The other kind is the kind they tend to reject. And, and see as kind of fake. Does that make sense? And so let me encourage you just to be imperfect. Now that doesn't mean you don't get better. I mean, why shouldn't you get better as a parent, right? And in fact, there's some opportunities. Even this summer, uh, we have some master classes, and one of those is on parenting. And I encourage you to to take that class. It'll be incredible. Um, this later this year, one of the most exciting things that's happened in Chase Oaks for a long time will happen this fall in this year. And that is as great as Kids Zone is, and as fun as it is, and we'll keep all the great things about Kids Zone. Is we're Making, making a huge step forward with in children's ministry at Chase Oaks as we uh, add a scope and sequence all the way from baby through uh, when they graduate of what we want to make sure kids are exposed to and what and as they uh, grow in their faith uh, will you'll hear more about this, but uh, be a lot more help for parents to have certain conversations with their kids and be intentional with them. And and you want your kids to be involved in it now, but starting in the fall, it's just, you'll hear more about it. I, I need to stop doing that, but it's going to be really cool. So there, there's lots of ways to be more intentional and to learn and all that. And that's really good, but also be encouraged because God uses imperfect people to influence the next generation. And that's true of parents. That's also true. However, like I said, you relate to a kid and really what they need to see from you, like I said, is an, is, is just what is an authentic follower of Jesus look like? Well, so that happened, right? But that's not the end of the story. Yes, they lost Jesus, and, and that's a big oops. And it takes them three days once they get Jerusalem to find them. And you can imagine the panic, right, that they'd been in looking all over this big city for Jesus. And when they find him, it says after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers as he's interacting with these lawyers and teachers and Pharisees and so on. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. She scolds God. She scolds the Messiah. She scolds the savior of the world because he also happens in the craziness of the incarnation to be her son. And Jesus replies, I mean, imagine this little 12-year-old kid. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they still did not understand what he was saying to them. 
And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, trying to kind of figure it out. You know, Jesus, as you can imagine, was not the typical 12 year old. I mean, when you're God, you know, you tend to be, you know, he was probably an advanced student or whatever. I don't know. But right. But he's God. So he he definitely came with a greater sense of self-awareness of the fact that he was here for a big purpose. And that's what he's trying to say to his mom. Mom, you know, I'm, I'm not just here. I'm here for a big purpose. And this is part of it. And you should have known that. I mean, it's, you know. Now, that's different than the typical 12 year old. But here's where every 12-year-old, every 2-year-old, every 22-year-old, however old the next generation is, every single human being is just like Jesus. And that is that every child comes here custom-made for a custom purpose. Not Jesus' purpose, but theirs. They just don't know it. They don't come with that self-awareness. And who gives it to them? We do. Those of us who are involved in their lives. Uh, Ephesians 2 says we, all of us, we um, are God's workmanship. You could translate that word masterpiece, work of art. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. That every human being, God thought about you before you were born. And he had something in this world for you to do before you were born. And he crafted you uniquely to be able to do that, which is why kids, you know, if you have three kids, they're all going to be different because God makes us unique with a unique purpose. And one of the greatest gifts that you and I can give kids in our lives, young adults in our lives, teenagers in our lives, is a sense of that, an awareness of that reality that you're not like everybody else on purpose. You're unique. And you're here with a purpose. You're here with a calling. And I want to do everything I can to encourage you to live into that because it's really cool. And you have this and to speak words of belief and blessing. One of the things I'm really thankful for in the way I grew up with my parents is that they were really great about doing that. My mom told me all the time, you know, Jeff, you are unique. You're special. Not just you're weird, but you're unique. And you're special. I mean, you're not just here. God has special plan for you. He's got purposes for you. He gave you gifts and abilities for a reason. And and she would help name those in my life to give me the confidence to say, okay, I'm not just here. I'm here to do something. I'm here with a purpose. My dad uh, was great about that, too. And in fact, when I decided to do the ministry thing, I know that was probably a little bit of a curveball for him um, because it's just. You know, it wasn't his world, right? He was uh, an engineer, an entrepreneur, and owned a small company, and was uh, he, he was a highly educated guy. Uh, went to MIT for his undergrad and graduate work, and so he, you know, he knew that world. But but when I started thinking, I'm going to go into do church stuff, and I, you know, and and pursue, okay, what's the path to do that? He's like, look, I don't know that path, but let's figure it out because if that's why you're here on this planet, you're not here to do what I want you to do, even though he was fine with that. Uh, or what I you're not here to do my calling, like take over my company or do you're here to do your thing. And so let's figure out the best way for you to do your thing. And I will always support you. I will always resource it. I'll do everything I can to help you flourish and what your calling is. And these were just conversations in my home. And I'm really, really thankful that I was able to grow up in a home like that. 
to have a sense of, of purpose and blessing and support. In fact, uh, you know, my dad uh, passed away a few years ago, died of ALS. And in, in ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, it's a, not a good way to go because your muscles, you, you lose the ability to use your muscles and they atrophy. And so uh, by, by the time, uh, just before he passed away, he could still move his upper body some. It was difficult. His lower body, not at all. And which means he could pound out these texts on an iPad with a big stylus. And it took a long time to do it. But this is the I'm going to show you the last text that he sent to me before he passed away. This was a few days before he he died and went to heaven. Jeff, I just heard Sunday sermon for a third time when Mon played for Ricky, a masterpiece. Love you. I was 51 years old when I got that text. Do you know how much that meant to me as a 51 year old and still as a 54 year old? Because it's a blessing from my dad. Right. It's a and all of us need that. And kids in your life, they need you to say it. However you relate to a kid. Um, and, and it doesn't matter how old you are, how old they are. Um, I mean, even today, I got a, a voicemail from Gene Getz, who's our founding pastor. And many of you know about Gene. He's the one who started our church. He handed the baton of leadership to me 17 or so years ago. Uh, but he's an amazing guy. He's still in our church. He is recovering from COVID after months of being in the hospital. And he's at home recovering. But just today, uh, while I was driving here, uh, I got this. I missed the call because it was on do not disturb, but I got this voice message from him. So I'd done a leadership meeting last night, a, a webinar for all of our leaders, and he watched it today. And here's his message. Hi, Jeff. Gene here. I just listened to your virtual leadership gathering report. You all did such an incredible job uh, giving inspiring perspective for the future. It was really well done. I so appreciate your leadership, bro. Just cool when an 89-year-old says bro. I so appreciate your leadership, bro. Goodbye. How cool is that? He didn't have to do that. But do you think that means something to me? I wouldn't be reading it right now if it didn't. Of course it did. There's so many unsaid things that we left said. And that's what we got to stop. Because part of God using imperfect people to launch kids to fulfill his purposes for them, and this is where it's going to get really practical, is as you think of kids in your life, however they are, okay, it could be a neighbor kid, it could be your kid, it could be a grandkid, maybe you serve in kid zone, maybe you serve in student ministry. And by the way, that is such a powerful way to build it in the next generation. And if you're not serving in kid zone and serving in student ministry, let me encourage you to. I served, uh, I've served in both uh, over the years. And, and, and I, st- I still remember people in student ministry back when I was a student that spoke, these, that spoke into my life and encouraged me. And I'm forever thankful for them. And that's an opportunity that all of us have. And if you're looking for a place to serve, that's an incredible place to serve. So maybe it's there. Or I, don't, I don't know. Again, hopefully you're thinking of your person. But here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Is to speak words of belief and blessing and support into their life. And you might think, oh, they don't care. They don't matter. Because I'm sure my dad, when he texted that, he probably thought, well, is he really, is he really going to care? Or Gene sending that message. He might think, 
Well, you know, Jeff's, I'm sure, fine. He doesn't need that, right? Nope. I needed to hear that from him. It meant a lot to me to hear that from him. Uh, when Caleb was 13, I wrote a letter to him on his 13th birthday, just expressing, um, I just wanted, I wanted him to know, I love you, I believe in you, and I'm proud of you. Those three things. And so I said, I love you, always will. You talked to him about unconditional love. I believe in you. And I included, this is what I see in your life in terms of your gifts and the things God has put in you and the character qualities I see growing. And so I believe in you. And then I'm proud of you. Our kids need to know, I love you, I believe in you, and I'm proud of you. Everybody needs people in their life who love them, believe in them, and are proud of them. And I just wrote that letter. I didn't know a 13-year-old kid, is he just going to throw it away? You know, look in, the, look in the envelope to see if there's money and then, you know. Uh, and he went out and wanted to buy, it was two pages, buy two 8 by 10 frames and he hung it on his wall. Because that means something, right? We all need that. And kids in your life, young adults in your life, teenagers in your life need you to be intentional about it. So write a letter. Make a phone call. If it's appropriate, if it's your kid or grandkid, if it's a neighbor, don't take him to dinner. They'll think the old people will come to your house and start asking questions. But, but take him to dinner and just make a big deal about it and just say, man, can I tell you what I see in your life? And I want you to know I love you, I believe in you, and I'm proud of you. And let me tell you why. Will you do that? And if you do that, think about this. That's why I said at the beginning. It's trajectory changing for somebody. You may think it's no big deal, but that letter, that conversation, that dinner, you know, you're going to have it in the life of that young person there. You're going to and, and it's going to be a trajectory changing moment where they're kind of going like this and be like, whoa. It's a lift. It's belief. It's perspective. It's like, whoa. And my guess is they may always remember that. I mean, three years later, I'm still putting the text up about my for my dad. So let's do it. Because God uses imperfect people to launch kids to fulfill his purposes for them. And that's good news for all of us. Now, we're going to pray and I want to pray about that person that you have in mind or those people that God has in mind. But let me also say this last word to moms. Um, Because. Being a mom should not be a thankless job, but often it is. But today and this weekend, I want you to hear all of Chase Oaks say, thank you. And we see you. We know the love. We know the sacrifice. We know the heartache. We know, uh, you know, we, we see what you're doing. And this year in particular, I know has been really difficult. But you're doing great. And when you are confused, the Holy Spirit is there to overshadow you. You're not on your own. When you are discouraged, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is there. And when you feel like, oh, no, I'm imperfect. Well, of course you are. Because God uses imperfect people to do things like be a mom, be a dad, be whatever, right? To influence the next generation. That's what he wants to use. So with that in mind, let's bow our heads together. Father, thank you for all the people in our own lives who have spoken words of belief and blessing.
And God, would you help us do the same? And, and right now, God, would you put somebody on our mind that this week we can communicate with? Tell, don't let them know, I love you, I believe in you, I'm proud of you, here's why. And God, would you help us just do our responsibility as imperfect people with the kids and teenagers and young adults in our life to, to speak words of blessing and to encourage and to support and to cheer them on. And Father, I do thank you for moms at Chase Oaks and in our culture. And I pray that this weekend will be truly a wonderful celebration of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, there are no imperfect parents except one. And it's our Father, God. And, and one, of the thing, one of the big prayers of the Bible, we're going to worship God in music. And we're going to worship the God for his goodness. One of the, one of the prayers in the Bible is that uh, Paul did pray this prayer for believers, for us, that somehow God would give us the ability and all of his power to begin to grasp how significant the height and depth and length and breadth of his love for us. One of the hardest things to understand about God is how deeply we are loved. It's the most, one of the most profound things a believer. People talk about, let's go deep. Well, if you want to go deep, that's what Paul's praying for is let's go deep and trying to figure out, trying to just begin to feel what, how deeply and how meaningfully we're loved by God. He's way better than we can imagine. And once you begin to grasp his love, then you'll be fixated on his goodness. And you, you can't help but thank him and praise him for his goodness. And so we're going to do that right now as we sing this song, Goodness of God. And in the room, I invite you to stand and at home, uh, let's uh, let's enter into uh, this time of worship.